0: Good morning, and welcome to episode 928 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index, of Baseball Reference, and our supporters on Patreon. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hey, Ben. Hello. Last night, I dreamed that I woke up, checked my fantasy team. This is a this is a dr- this is a story that involves me telling you about my dream and my fantasy baseball team. So, <laughs> strap on in. Two of the best kinds of
1: stories combined.
0: <laughs> and I, um, so I checked to see how my players had done the previous day. And David Ortiz, who was on my team uh, in this dream, had seven homers the previous day. And I just wanted to know: Am I pretty cool?
1: <laughs> is that a doubleheader?
0: No, just one day, seven homers. Do you have is Do you have the fantasy baseball dream regularly? i probably less now because you don't really
1: play. But right, I have had it, but yeah, not for some time.
0: Uh, yeah, but I, I would say that fantasy baseball, you uh, know, in, in the way that playing Tetris makes you see Tetris in your mind's eye, I have found that playing fantasy baseball makes you dream about fantasy baseball more than almost anything else. And no, I mean, that's still not, that's still not every day, but how many things do you really return to in your dreams? I, my most common one back, um, back a few years ago, uh, before I would have my big, uh, my big draft in the two-person league that I'm in is I would have these recurring. Sometimes they would be like you know ten times before the draft. I would have these dreams where I it would be like the seventeenth round, and I'd be trying to figure out who was available, and I'd be like, "Oh, oh wow! Would you look at that? Mike Trout is still there. I, I think I'll draft him." And and <laughs> yeah. and like we had just somehow forgotten to draft all the good players, and I just got to just vacuum them up just put together the greatest team ever in like the 19th 20th 21st and 22nd round and i would have that dream a lot i wonder so i don't know if it's a universal
1: experience yeah i think my dream is probably more like forgetting to set my lineup or showing up to the draft with no prep or something or everyone's off the board i think i would have the opposite sort of fantasy dream
0: yeah yeah well, let us know if the fantasy baseball uh, dream is is universal. All right. I have one more quick thing to banter about. You might have more, but I um, have been uh, lucky enough to be reading a book that's that's coming out uh, in some time. I have an advanced copy of a book by Lincoln Mitchell called Will Big League Baseball Survive? And um, there is just one line in it that I, <laughs> that I cannot help but, but spoil uh, because it's so great. Uh, it's not it's not his line, so I think it's okay for me to spoil it. But he quotes a 1939 profile in Life magazine of Joe DiMaggio, in which there, there's a paragraph about how I guess how well assimilated he is, how he's not too Italian. You know, he's Italian, but he's not too Italian. And there's a line he he never reeks of garlic. <laughs> 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 Not just, even once. I die. I read wow. this over and over die. He never reeks of garlic. Oh, it's so good. I yeah. I actually read it and then I was walking around with this in my head yesterday and I was trying to remember if it said never or rarely. And I thought that's a that's a
1: pretty big distinction. I should yeah, check. We, we, we all reek of garlic occasionally. <laughs> it's, it's hard never to reek of garlic. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's what made him the Yankee Clipper, I guess. He never knew if someone was seeing him for the first time, so he never wanted to have garlic breath on that day.
0: The great thing about reading old baseball writing is that you go for one line, and then you realize that every line is gold. So I'm going to now read two more paragraphs from this life profile that are not quoted in Lincoln Mitchell's book. All right, this is how people wrote about baseball players in 1939. Among the innumerable... Erroneous ideas about baseball, entertained by the public, which pays for the game, are the notions that, one, baseball players keep rigorous training for six months of the year. Two, all ball players are phenomenally stupid. And three, (laughs) and three, baseball players are prodigies of physical energy. That's the first paragraph. As a matter of fact, baseball players do little or no training. (laughs) Unlike fighters, whose problem is to be in the peak of condition for a special occasion, their problem is to keep up interest in the game over a long period. Many trainers insist that players dissipate a little whenever they feel so inclined, both because it prevents them being bored and because if they exercise self-control, they may develop inhibitions, which slow down their physical reactions. The legend that ballplayers are stupid is a canard promulgated by reporters who, being professionally articulate themselves, fail to understand athletes who quite properly regard words as a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) The theory that professional athletes are physically active is equally preposterous. The truth is that the salient quality of most good athletes is a kind of muscular lethargy, which enables them, when called upon for reflex action, to furnish it with an explosive violence garnered from doing nothing at most other times. So the the second point about why it is so easily misunderstood that ball players are phenomenally stupid is uh is sharp and uh, and very uh, relevant even today. The rigorous training for 6 months of the year is great because it's not even like for 12 months of the year. Like most the public thinks these guys keep in shape for half the year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they don't. <laughs> not, not even that. And then the third point, I've read it. I've read both the point and the supporting documentation of this myth three times now, and I have no idea what it means. What are prodigies of physical energy? What is that? What is he talking about? And then when he gets to it again, and, and it, the the salient quality is a kind of muscular lethargy, which enables them when called upon for reflex action to furnish. Like this reads like a sort of a, a description of a patient in a medical journal. And yet it also, I sort of read it wondering whether they were euphemistically talking about them uh, sleeping around. Like I couldn't figure out what he was even talking about here. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any idea what a prodigy huh. of f- physical energy is. Anyway, there you go. Maybe uh, like Brett Lurie seems like a prodigy of physical energy. What is... What? <laughs> like, the because <laughs> the, he's just about to snap, that he's like a coil? Yeah. Huh, could be...
1: Right. Oh, and then haven't even gotten into the ads. <laughs> Slightly condescending passage, but are we really any different when we talk about how baseball players aren't funny?
0: Uh no, because baseball players aren't funny.
1: But the public thinks that baseball players are funny six months of the year. <laughs> We're condescending to the public. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Alright, any banter? Well, I just wanted to say a word about Poor Jan Gomes, did you read about the misfortune that befell him?
0: Well, kind of vaguely, like I picked up that they did the sacrifice, and then the next day he, yeah. uh, he injured his back, for, and he'll be out for something like six weeks.
1: Yeah, so we talked about Jan Gomes last week, because he was on the list of players who had underperformed their Pocota projections, maybe he was first on that list, and so we were talking about whether we expected him to get any better, and then... He tried to put his finger on the scale. He tried to make himself better by sacrificing a chicken to Joe Boo, And then I think the very next day, he hurt his shoulder, I think, when he was trying to beat out a ground ball, and he was trying to avoid a tag. And then he has an AC joint separation, so he's going to be out for four to eight weeks. Just a, an unfortunate sequence of events for Jan Gomes, who was already batting 165, so he, he had it hard enough. And I wonder whether it has anything to do with the fact that he sacrificed a target rotisserie chicken, which is not really in the spirit of sacrificing to Jobu.
0: No, it's taunting. <laughs> in, in fact, I believe, I think that there actually is, I I unfortunately, I uh, off the top of my head, I don't have uh, Deuteronomy in front of me, but I think that there is actually clear instructions about well, not only—I mean, there are clear instructions about what you have to sacrifice, which of which of your flock or which of your herd you have to sacrifice. But I think the oh, you know what it is—is is there's there are rules about not eating the food that you sacrificed. And so I don't know if they ate. Did they eat the Target chicken afterward? How did they sacrifice it?
1: I, it was already sacrificed by Target or by whoever delivered it to Target. So I guess they were just cutting it up. I understand because I was just. Googling live chicken sacrifice. And there was a example from 2011 when a couple of high school baseball players sacrificed live chickens. I don't know exactly how they did that, but they were accused of killing baby chicks in what was believed to be a ritual to improve their on-field performance. And they were both charged with cruelty to livestock animals, which... Yeah seems fair and uh, so i wouldn't advocate that either but no no thing the... about the target rotisserie chicken and i'm i love a rotisserie chicken one of my oh, favorite foods so i've never gotten one from target i have good well yeah. okay
0: no you're right that look the solution you the clearly uh, you don't sa- you cannot sacrifice live chickens for your baseball joke okay <laughs> and, but the solution for that is not To me, to sacrifice a target chicken, but rather to not go through with your dumb joke. That (laughs) said, is there a way, like how would you, if you really got it in your skull that you needed to go through with a sacrifice for Yon Gomes, is there a way that you could do it that would be at all um, more authentic than a, like an herb rub chicken? I feel like the herb rub really... (laughs) kills the sacrifice yeah the other thing though can i just say though if 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 the whole point is that you're sacrificing quote-unquote sacrificing so let's say that the sacrifice was they're not going to eat it they bought a target chicken and they're not going to eat it like they're going to sacrifice it by whatever burning it okay not a live chicken you have not killed a chicken for your sacrifice good job except you totally have that chicken died to be eaten for energy and if you're not eating it, what is the difference, really, between <laughs> wielding the uh, the cleaver yourself and buying a chicken? Either way, a chicken died for waste. So I'm not sure that, there, that it is any better.
1: Right. All right. That's right. And wasn't the lesson of Major League that the sacrifice doesn't work and that the only way that you succeed is by believing in yourself and not by Joe Boo. That's that's when he finally hits the curve. So I think we've drawn the wrong lesson From the the movie.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I've only seen Major League 3, Back to the Minors.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the most critically acclaimed of the Major Leagues.
0: I honestly don't even know if that's the subtitle of it. And it is also the only one I have seen. Can you believe that? I actually (laughs) only have seen the third one. That's insane, really. That's true. Uh, what? I know it is. <laughs> it is. I know it was playing in the it was playing in the movie theater when I worked at the movie theater. So that's why I have seen it. Oh, like I, see. I, I didn't go out of my way to watch <laughs> so these out of sorry. order. It was just I worked in a I worked in a two-screen theater and so there was a ton of downtime and so you saw everything. So I did that's why I saw it.
1: Were they showing The Godfather 3 at the time also?
0: Nah. That was years earlier. I've seen, uh, I've seen, I've probably seen all of Major League One out of order. Like I've probably seen enough, enough 20 minutes here or whatever. And I get all the references uh, in the same way that Jason Wojciechowski, after three years of editing the annual, has basically seen The Simpsons all the way through, (laughs) even though he's never actually seen an episode, just because there's a Simpsons joke in every comment. Um, Yeah. And I don't think I ever saw the second one at all.
1: Okay. There you go. It's a gap in your education.
0: Yeah. All right. Anything else? Nope. Okay. So MLB, uh, the Associated Press reported a couple of days ago that Major League Baseball has told managers to knock off the arguing balls and strikes. And I wanted to talk about this as it relates to um, the umpire-manager relationship, as it relates to review, as it relates to future robo-umps, et cetera. And just so that we have all the context, this is not a very long article by the AP. I'm going to read the whole thing so that everything that we talk about is, is known. Major league baseball is telling managers to cool it on arguing balls and strikes and warning them not to rely on replay help to bolster their beefs. MLB executive Joe Torrey sent a memo Friday to managers, GMs and assistant GMs that said this highly inappropriate conduct is detrimental to the game and must stop immediately. The memo was obtained Saturday by the associated press. Torrey said in his note that, quote, the prevalence of manager ejections simply cannot continue. Torrey said skippers are increasingly relying on technology from the clubhouse or video room to argue from the dugout. Every pitch and play is monitored by teams in case they want a challenge for a replay review. Detroit manager Brad Ausmus was ejected for arguing balls and strikes and covered home plate with with a sweatshirt earlier this season. And Boston manager John Farrell was tossed during an animated dispute alongside Red Sox slugger David Ortiz earlier this month. Cubs manager Joe Madden was ejected while arguing from the dugout. All right, that's the article. Now, let's—I want to put all of the big issues aside for a second and just ask you whether it is in Major League Baseball's interests to tell managers to quit making scenes arguing, or to quit getting ejected arguing. Just that, just the 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 manager going out to yell at the umpire. Generally speaking, good or bad for the game, something to encourage, discourage, or let play out the way it does.
1: Yeah, I think within moderation, some managerial arguing is something we want to see. I, Claire McNear wrote something yesterday, I think, about how Baseball fans like seeing arguments with umpires, and so this is something that MLB should not discourage, at least if not quite encourage. And I think that is basically right. I think if it were happening every game, then it would lose its novelty, but we do occasionally like to see a fight because everyone always has some latent hostility against umpires simmering in their hearts, and so we want to see managers express that. We want to see these normally composed people turn sclerotic with rage and we want to see them kick the dirt and we want to see them throw their hat. So I think some amount of that is okay. Of course, it's inconsistent with MLB's desire to shorten games and I think we all generally prefer shorter games. So I understand what they're saying and of course, it kind of undermines the authority of the umpire and the umpiring system in some way but i don't think anyone cares i i haven't really seen complaints about this this year because people complain about ump shows but no one really complains about manager shows that's not a hashtag right everyone likes it when managers get involved
0: yeah and so rob arthur has uh, framed the length of games as uh, as as it's two different two different conversations people are having there's the time of game and then there's the pace of game and those are actually separate things And so do you consider, and and a manager coming out to argue with the umpire for a minute and a half obviously does add a minute and a half to the length of the game. And if you're trying to get out in time to get your kid home uh, on a school night, then that's a minute and a half. That's objective. But does a manager umpiring help or hurt pace of game in your opinion?
1: I don't think it hurts because that isn't really dead time. It's not like a pitching change when nothing's happening. There are People arguing and yelling at each other. It's arguably more entertainment value per second than you get with actual baseball going on. So I don't think it hurts the pace. It hurts the length, but probably not the pace.
0: I agree with that, especially if they're
1: fairly rare. Yeah, right. And, I mean, I think when we had the challenge system—well, we still have the challenge system, but when it was taking forever and you know, managers would stroll out and then they'd wait and they'd wait and they'd use the maximum amount of time possible while waiting to hear from their replay people, and that still happens to some extent, that hurts pace, I think, but the actual arguing does not.
0: Yeah, and particularly the type of arguing that happens for balls and strikes, it, it forever and ever— You know, if there was a close play at first and the manager didn't like the way the call went and he'd go out and argue, in 90% of cases, he wasn't going to get ejected. And in 100% of cases, the call wasn't going to get overturned. And so while maybe there would be, okay, eh, something's happening that's a little different, I guess I'll perk up, uh, unless the manager got really heated and or ejected, that was kind of dead time. When you're talking about balls and strikes, though, the arguing happens from the dugout. And occasionally it'll happen between innings or with a you know a pitching coach or a manager might say something on his way back from a mound visit. But it's not the sort of thing where you're running out and arguing about a play that happened where everybody knows that play is not getting overturned. And by the time the manager does get out to the umpire... Uh, if it gets to that situation, it's usually because he has been ejected, or somebody has been ejected, and the manager is getting his money's worth. And it seems like that is a thing that fans like, regardless of whether it's their home manager or their ro- the road manager. Fans seem to like it when managers get ejected, specifically ejected, not arguing, but actually ejected. So I, that doesn't seem like something that hurts the experience. Now, Tori also, I basically represents, you know, the umpires and like the umpires are also employees of the league and they have a right to be aggrieved if managers are arguing a lot and pestering them and yelling foul names at them from their dugout but particularly now because there is there has been set up and this is what the article alludes to but there has been set up this brand new and really almost fatal imbalance of information where the manager has access to the replays of the pitches and also I assume through, you know, the tunnels underneath the stadium, the pitch effects of the pitches. He can see every pitch, whether it missed by a half an inch, six inches or caught the, the zone. And the umpire does not get that until later in the game, which then raises a very crucial philosophical question of, well, first of all, of all it raises. I mean, I would say that it raises the umpire's very, very fair grievance. That it's not really fair that a manager can can yell at you. It's you know, the manager can go, ah, that was inside, you bum. But it's even worse when the manager can say, That was 2.36 inches inside, I checked. And that's not really fair for the umpires unless you think <laughs> that the point is to get the calls right. And so then you have to like the here's the, the interesting question to me. Is it good for managers to be able to tell an umpire? No, seriously, you're missing that call. I have seen it. I know. We have the facts. And we're voting yes.
1: (laughs) Well played, Miller. I think that, I mean, for one thing, we know that umpires get reports after the game about how well they did. So they do get some kind of corrective measure. They can check and see what they did wrong. Of course, maybe you don't really have the incentive to look or... It's not like umpires are getting fired all the time because they're making missed calls. So if you have a manager yelling at you during the game in front of everyone, then that probably drives the message home more so than a printout that you get in the, in the locker room after the game or whenever that happens. So maybe it helps umpires improve. It's just kind of right. It's, it's a imbalance of information. And it's the reason why a lot of people want robot umpires because. We are all in the same situation as the managers now. We're watching from home. There's a K-Zone on the screen. We're watching on game day. We can look at Twitter bots that tell you whether it was in the strike zone or not. So we are all watching this, and we know way more than the umpires do. And so now the managers are in the same boat. And for a lot of people, that just makes it look ridiculous that we are still having humans call these pitches
0: yeah if you if let me let me ask you a hypothetical let's say that well let's say that umpires got their report after every pitch so the umpire the just pure hypothetical okay so umpire gets uh sees the pitch calls the pitch and then 10 seconds later so not overturning any pitches not calling the the system isn't calling the pitches but 10 seconds later they get a little buzz in there, like the spelling bee. You know, they get a they get a buzz if they got it wrong. Average umpire, let's say average umpire, uh, just throwing out a number, misses eight calls a game. How many calls a game would they miss if they had this sort of self correcting pitch FX system in their ear? Which is essentially what managers are sort of doing when they're yelling, "That was a strike." That was a pitch. I've actually said it was a strike. Like, what does that make them better? Do you think they're capable of adjusting that precisely, or do they miss the calls because they missed the calls, and that it's not a matter of will or effort? They just they missed it, and they're gonna miss it even if they're told you're missing. Yeah, I think
1: I think it would probably help. It certainly keeps you on your toes. It makes you want to get the right call more so than you might if no one was yelling at you but of course people have always yelled at umpires one way or another but their opinion wasn't any more valid than the umpires was and in most cases it was less valid because they had a worse view of the pitch and now that's not the case so I don't know how much an umpire's zone can change on the fly really I think guys tend to call pitches certain ways in certain places and Seems to be fairly consistent over time, and I'm not sure that having an umpire tell you that a pitch was outside or inside or whatever would just make you instantly stop calling that pitch, but I would say it makes you better. I would think it's more likely that it makes you better than that it makes you worse, because... What's the argument that it makes you worse? Just that you're so self-conscious, you're in your head, you're not just kind of calling as you see it, you're calling it as you're worried that a manager will see it, something like that. So I could see that, I suppose. But if you do have some trend, and often you will see an umpire calling the same wrong pitch or making the same sort of mistake over and over, like he's just giving a pitch to the pitcher in a certain place, then you'd think that might correct it because umpires know that they are being evaluated based on this stuff. So it's not just wanting to avoid being yelled at, but also wanting to be disciplined or not promoted or given a raise or whatever happens if you if PitchFX says you're bad at calling pitches. So I think it could only help.
0: Yeah, the I guess the argument that it would be bad is that there's actually, it's not clear not all pitches that are obvious whether they're strikes or not simply looking at the pitch effects overlay. Maybe if you had, you know, Harry's pitch info adjustments and and you knew, like maybe if the manager was able to say, that's a strike 64% of the time, then that would be helpful. (laughs) But we've all seen, you know, the tweets of pitches on on the zone profile, and those are really, you know, terribly limited for deciding whether a pitch actually is a strike. I mean, look, I... I think that you know how I feel about the strike zone, but I really feel like the big problem here, the MLB does actually have a big problem here, and it's not just with the managers or the GMs or the fans. It's with all of us. We should not... It is untenable to have these pitch trackers on every broadcast when they don't actually reflect the strike zone and when umpires themselves don't reflect... So I'm going to shift real quick because I want to... I think to make this point, I, I can do it better. Jesse Spector has a piece in the Sporting News uh, this week in which he talked to a bunch of ball players and asked them about robo arms, and you know you get the normal responses that you would that you would think about. But one of the things that's really interesting is so I'm going to read, for instance, Brad Brock. Like I'll read his response. I think pitchers would be able to manipulate the electronic strike zone. You look at Zach Britton, our closer. If they had an electric strike zone... Electric strike zone would be cool, by the way. He meant electronic, but electric strike zone would be cool. You know, you touch it. (laughs) Zach Britton, our closer. If they had an electric strike zone, hitters would never be able to touch him. He has pitches that he throws that nick the strike zone and wind up in the dirt. I think they might be able to do something with that, but it's so difficult. And then Jesse says, but if it nicks the zone, shouldn't it be a strike? Brad, yeah, that's the argument, but when you have balls hitting the dirt after they nick the zone, like curveballs especially, being on the plate, hitters would really have a difficult time hitting that. I think p- pitchers would really like it, but I know hitters wouldn't. I don't quite follow this argument, but it does speak to, I think, the fact that there are actually two things people argue about when they talk about the flawed strike zone. One is that it's really hard to call balls and strikes, and umpires get it wrong. Sometimes they're they're fallible. they're human. It's a tough job. Sometimes they miss a pitch. They miss a lot of pitches, right? That's one problem with human umpires. The other thing that people see, and I don't know if they have a problem with it, but Brad Brock doesn't have a problem with it, and most of these players don't have a problem with it, it's not the missing. It's that the strike zone is not literal. The strike zone is a social construct. The strike zone is uh, trying to accomplish... the, The de facto strike zone is... You know, culturally defined, it changes based on the situation. It is, in some ways, uh, an attempt at moral arbitration, and it is a very complicated thing that, for some reason, for one reason or another, the game over the course of 150 years has developed to support. And that is, I think, really debatable. All of us want the umpires to not be bad at calling balls and strikes. I think there's disagreement among old school and new school about whether we want the strike zone to actually be rule book. And I don't think, I think that when players talk about the human element or whatever bizarro phrase they use, I think that's what they're talking about. And I don't like the phrase human element, but at this point, moment in my life, I do like the concept. I do like that the strike zone is not the rulebook strike zone because it seems to add layers of strategy of intrigue and of narrative and I like it okay I'm fine with it and I, I probably I wouldn't miss it necessarily but I'm only one person I don't like to impose my will on an entire sport and I like it because the sport likes it I like it because the players like it the catchers like it the umpires like it everybody likes it this has been this has survived the test of time, and therefore I am I am uh, I am happy that it exists. And you cannot, you simply cannot have a situation where you have a pitch tracker on the screen that is demonstrating a literal strike zone that doesn't exist and that makes the umpires' calls look wrong when they are not, for any practical purpose, wrong. It is untenable, Ben. You, I just don't know how MLB squares this. You can't have it, it isn't working. (laughs) So, what do you do? You get rid of the zone. You well, (laughs) no strike zone, (laughs) yes, no strike zone is the obvious answer. (laughs) But, and oh god, I still wish people agreed with me on that. But I think that you, you just, I think you have to stop broadcasting it, and I think that you have to have a rule that managers. Can't have any access, even secondhand access, to pitch FX readings in game. And that it, I think that if you are found to be accessing pitch FX mid game, uh, it should be disciplined. To me, that should be technology that should be uh, considered illegal within a game. So uh, managers can't have access to the pitch FX, teams can't have access to the pitch FX in game, uh, and fans for simple viewing experience. This is not a strategic, this is not nearly the, this is a different kind of thing, but. I think for 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 our own viewing happiness we need to have the uh, the the pitch tracker taken away from us because the when you said what is the harm could it make umpires worse if a manager gets to cherry pick which times he's using the de facto strike zone and which times he's using the literal strike zone uh, then he could argue you know 30 calls a game probably I would guess that that's really the subtext of Joe Torre's memo, it, like it, it is kind of intellectually dishonest to get to choose whichever standard of the strike zone you want to use to yell at the umpire. Although maybe I like people yelling at the umpire, and I don't think the umpires uh, should be complaining.
1: Yeah, well, Torre did say that this is a violation of the existing replay regulations. Which state that, quote, on-field personnel in the dugout may not discuss any issue with individuals in their video review room using the dugout phone other than whether to challenge a play subject to video replay review. So technically you're not allowed to call the replay person or speak to the replay person unless a replayable, potentially replayable play just occurred. I don't really know how you police that because there are constantly plays happening and technically any any of them could be reviewable. Not a ball or strike call, so maybe if you see someone calling the replay person when there wasn't actually a safe out call or a fair foul call or anything like that, then maybe that makes sense. Maybe you'd tell them to stop. That's against the rules, but... It's hard to really police what people are saying to the people in the replay room, because you could call up and say, should I review that play? And hey, also, what about that pitch that I was mad about last inning?
0: Yeah, and not only that, but it's not like there's a DMZ between the dugout and the replay. room. Like when we read that article about the Yankees review, it was like players were going and watching the replays behind his shoulder. I mean, it's like... What is it 26 feet away or something like you could just yell loud if you really wanted to probably um, so Yeah, like just because you're not picking up the phone doesn't mean that you don't have access to that You go to the clubhouse you could do all sorts of things if you want to break the rules, which people do
1: right? Yeah, so I don't know how you stop that from happening other than if they bring up the information in an argument with an umpire Then maybe you get a suspension or something for that.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess Uh, Yeah do you think managers use this? So so umpires know that managers can see. And so if a manager comes out to you and says, that was low or that was inside, and the umpire goes, not how I saw it, and you can go, no, seriously, bro. Like, I'm looking you in the eye. I'm not saying where I got this information, but I'm telling you, that was inside. The umpire knows, okay, so this guy has seen better information than I have. He's probably right. Do you think managers use this to... Then lie and say, like, even if it's not, they like it becomes like sort of a game of chicken where they then they could the manager can imply that he's seen the pitch FX and that that pitch was a ball, even though
1: maybe or that it was
0: like <laughs> even though it wasn't actually, but he knows the umpire can't check and has to maybe assume that the manager knows.
1: Yeah, that seems pretty likely.
0: Okay. All right. Good. Well, then that if that if that is likely, then it gets into that zone where like with uh, that book about spies where, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the one where once everybody is lying about everything, then intelligence becomes worthless anyway, because you don't know what is fiction for in order to throw you off. And so then maybe it becomes a world where everything is is seen as deceit. And therefore, nobody actually has the
1: upper hand. Right, okay Sounds like a bleak future Maybe, yeah All right. so that is it for today You can support the podcast on Patreon By going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild Five listeners who have already pledged their support Timothy Evans, Carol O, Will Hickman, Nick Bruce, and Andrew Mujica Thank you You can also buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work Our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team You can get more info on the website at theonlyruleisithastowork.com And if you have read the book and liked it we appreciate reviews at Amazon and Goodreads. You can join our Facebook group at Facebook.com groups slash effectively wild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get the discounted price of thirty dollars on a one-year subscription to the play index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can contact us, send us emails for tomorrow's email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com, or by messaging us through Patreon. We will be back then
0: are, yeah.